Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's presence in our everyday lives. Thank you so much for being with me today. Our society has become very skeptical of anything that's free. Anytime someone tells us that something is free, our defenses go up a little bit. For example, when I used to work as an engineer, it was common for vendors to invite me out to lunch, a lunch that they would pay for, a free lunch. And I would think, great, I'm looking forward to checking out the new restaurant in town. And once we got there, it was clear that the lunch was not really free because I had to listen to their sales pitch about their new product for the entire lunch. We didn't really get to talk about what I wanted to talk about. It was a sales pitch. The lunch really wasn't free, even though the vendor did pay for it. I had to endure a long sales pitch. Or I've been to one of those weekend getaways with my wife where it's really great. You get to stay at this nice property and enjoy a free weekend. But of course, at the end, we had to sit through a two-hour presentation about the timeshare and a very high-pressure sales pitch of special pricing just for you, and we'll reduce it today and no down payment and low interest rate payment plan and on and on this would go for a couple of hours. Uh, kind of put a damper on the nice weekend. So we're suspicious, and perhaps rightly so, when someone tells us today that what they're offering us is totally and completely free. And we see a similar theme in the spiritual life, don't we? In the Christian gospel, we are told that God offers us a new relationship mercy and grace and a right standing with him that is not based on anything we do. It's not something we have to earn or pay for. It's offered free, freely, free of charge. And nowhere is this idea more clear than in the Old Testament of all places. In Isaiah 55, the prophet looks forward to a day when God will initiate a new covenant with his people a covenant that he will offer freely to them. Listen to how it goes. I'm starting in verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Did you hear how that started? An invitation is being given, an invitation to a sumptuous banquet, and the table is spread with the richest of foods. It's sumptuous. There's bread, water, wine, milk, the richest of fare, God says in verse 2. And it's all being offered freely, no charge, without money and without cost, the prophet says. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? An invitation to a great feast where the finest food is spread out on the table and it's offered free of charge. It reminds me of some of the parables Jesus told when he would describe the kingdom of God as a great wedding banquet. In Jesus' day, a wedding banquet was the largest and best feast going. They would sometimes last for a week or even two weeks at a time. The whole community was invited. The best food, the best wine, it was something looked forward to for months and months. But in Jesus' stories about wedding banquets, there was always an overtone of haunting regret because there were some people who would refuse to come for whatever reason. They would make up excuses as to why they couldn't make it or they just were suspicious of the host or something. Who knows? And we see a similar theme here in Isaiah, verse 2, this agonizing question, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And if you've been tracking with Isaiah up till now in his book, you know that's exactly what his people have been doing. They have been trying to create their own food and grow their own crops, and in a spiritual sense that is, right? They are working hard to feed themselves, but they're still spiritually hungry because they're essentially eating spiritual junk food. They'd rather have their own Cheetos and a Coke instead of come to the table where the most delicious, nutritious food is available. And that's the dilemma of the human condition, isn't it? Because of our pride or our ego or whatever, we would rather eat our own food because we're suspicious of this free lunch, this free banquet being offered, because we suspect that there are going to be strings attached. In verse 3, God speaks these incredible words through Isaiah. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. If you recall what's happening in Isaiah, the prophet would have witnessed the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel, and the near fall of the southern kingdom, Judah, to the Assyrians. But now Isaiah is looking ahead to a day when a new conqueror, Babylon, will come and finish the job. Babylon will destroy the southern kingdom and take most of the people away into exile. 
and leave only a handful of people living there. And it will raise a lot of questions about the covenant, the promise God made with his people, the Davidic covenant, right? About how David and his descendants will always have someone seated on the throne. And so a lot of people will begin to ask the question, what about the covenant? What happened? Has God broken his promise to us? Because there's no kingdom and there's no king anymore. And God's answer in verse 3 is that he will make a new covenant, an everlasting covenant, he says, my faithful love promised to David. And of course, those of us who live on the other side of history know that the way that God did that was through Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus is the new and better David who fulfills a new covenant, an everlasting covenant, a covenant where people are freely pardoned of their sins, where mercy and grace are offered free of charge. And we get a real clear picture of this in verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon. There's that word again, freely. So in these words we see, as we do in many of the prophets, a kind of dual fulfillment that in God choosing to bring the exiles back from Babylon, it has nothing to do with his people's righteousness and goodness. In other words, it's not something they've earned, this reprieve, this return from exile. It's a sheer act of mercy and grace. It's a free gift that God is offering them. They get to come out of spiritual timeout and come back to their beloved and cherished homeland, Zion. If you stop to think about it, there's a real metaphor here for our spiritual life. In a sense, sin takes us away into exile, into a Babylonian captivity, right? Because of our bad choices, God allows us to experience the natural consequences of that. It's as if we're taken away from our spiritual homeland and we begin to live this new life, this different life, this life of exile. It's a disappointing life. It's a hard life. And again, like Israel, God, out of his own goodness, out of his own kindness, suddenly says, okay, that's enough. It's time for you to come home. And he begins to restore us and redeem us and bring us back to our spiritual home, which, of course, is in him, just as God brought the Israelites back to their homeland. It's a beautiful metaphor, right? that all of us in a way have kind of experienced Israel's story, that we've been conquered and overwhelmed by sin and by our bad choices and, in a sense, taken away from our true selves, our true spiritual home, but that God, in his mercy and grace, lovingly chooses to bring us back home to him. How is this possible? How can God do this? Verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's plan to bring his people home from their Babylonian captivity and his plan to bring us home from our self-imposed spiritual exile is something that's unique. It's his plan. It's his word that's accomplishing this. It's not something that we came up with. It's not a human contrivance. It's a plan rooted in God's 
infinite wisdom and goodness and grace. In verse 11, God says that the word that goes out from his mouth will not return to him empty, but will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent it. There's a reference there to creation, right? When God speaks, things happen. When God has a plan, an idea that he wants to execute, all he has to do is speak and it happens. And it's the same here, right? God wants to bring his people home from exile. He wants to bring you and I home from our life of sin. All he has to do is say the word and those things happen. And the passage concludes with this memorable image of all of creation rejoicing at the return of the exiles, at the execution of God's new plan. Mountains and hills are singing, trees are clapping their hands, weeds like the thornbush and briars are disappearing and being replaced by junipers and myrtles. You may recall from Genesis 3 that one of the consequences of Adam and Eve's fall was thorns and thistles, weeds, right? That agriculture was now going to be hard because of thorns and thistles, weeds. And so we see in these final verses of chapter 55 a reversing of the curse, right? The curse is being reversed that through this new covenant of love and mercy and forgiveness that God himself is working, not because of any human initiative or desire, but that God is doing this new thing and the consequences of the original curse are moving backwards. The curse is being reversed. So we see in this chapter a vivid picture of God's restoration, of God's hope, of the new covenant he's making, of the banquet he's inviting his people to. God is doing a new thing here, and it's just incredible because it's all being offered free of charge. So I ask at the beginning of this episode, is there such a thing as a free lunch? How can God offer all this to us free of charge? Well, I hate to tell you, but there is a string attached. And if you've been reading through Isaiah up until this point, you know that just a few chapters earlier in chapter 53, Isaiah talks in detail about the suffering servant, the one who would vicariously suffer for his people. And of course, Christians have come to understood that the figure here Isaiah is describing is none other than Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So it's free for us, absolutely. God offers all of this mercy and forgiveness and pardon freely. This banquet he invites us to come enjoy, it's all free. It's free to us. But it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost him everything. So let us remember the good news of Lent and of Easter today that we are offered free of charge a seat at God's banquet table. We are offered right standing with him and his favor and his kindness, not because of any of our good works, but because of the work of the suffering servant, Jesus to conclude with the words from chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, 
and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, and he will freely pardon. May we repent and believe the good news of the gospel today. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode.